0: If you've made some poor decisions and dealing with the consequences, today's podcast is for you. We're going to talk with an award winning author and pastor about his struggles and how he found hope. And you can too. Next on the Church Solutions Podcast. It's
1: the Church Solutions Podcast brought to you by StreamingChurch.tv. The Church Solutions Podcast is all about helping you and your church with technology and other encouraging ideas for ministry. Now, here are your hosts, Steve Lacey and Phil Thompson.
0: Hey folks, welcome again to another edition of the Church Solutions Podcast. My name is Phil Thompson. And I'm Steve Lacey. Steve, I, I always forget to, to check on what episode this is. Is well, it like you, 322 you, or 323? Trying
1: tried to keep up for a while, but uh,
0: I yeah, I don't know. It's around there. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's just, we've done so many of these that we lose it, but anyhow, uh, Steve, you doing okay today? Doing great. All right. Me too. We're, we're doing fine here. So, uh, we have a guest today, as we always like to have a guest occasionally, and uh, our, our next guest is the lead pastor of Inspirational Baptist Church, uh, located in the Cincinnati, Ohio area. He, he hails from Ohio, which is where I'm from. I'm from Youngstown, though. He's actually from the Dayton area. Uh, he, our next guest, started preaching at the age of 14, which is, uh, that's pretty remarkable. I was 18, so, so, so he beat me on that. Uh, and he's been nominated for numerous awards, uh, Ohio Humanitarian Awards, one of them. He's been a member of the Governor's Task Force uh, on Welfare Reform, been involved in uh, advisor to s- several U.S. President- presidential candidates, and uh, lots of different things. So uh, uh, he's written several books. Our uh, guest today is Bishop Victor S. Cousins. Uh, hello, Bishop. How are you?
2: I am outstanding, Phil. How are you today?
0: Uh, We're doing great, and it's a real privilege and honor honor to have you on here. You are an award-winning author. You've written uh, a couple different books, at least, The Marketplace Mentality, which sometime we should talk about, uh, The Uncommon Devotional, and the book we want to talk about today, the best-selling book, is called Lessons Learned the Hard Way, Surviving Personal Setbacks and Public Shame. So this, kind of a long title there. But uh, this is an interesting uh, book. You've got some interesting chapters in this book. And so we'd like to talk to you a little bit about it today. Uh, I'll start off by asking you, I'll just tee it up and ask you this. Why did you write this
2: book? (laughs) Well, uh, and and thank you so much to you as well, Steve, for having me on. In short, I wrote the book because it's important that we not waste any experiences, Uh, comfortable experiences, uncomfortable experiences, I think there is always an opportunity inside of every experience in order for us to grow. And as a community of believers, we can oftentimes learn from the collective understanding that others are able to contribute. So uh, that's why I wrote the book. I went through a very difficult and challenging season. I did not want the way that that season helped me to grow and mature to be lost. So I primarily wrote the book actually for myself and then simply decided to publish it and share it with others. So that in the event I ever come to a rough patch in life again, I'll say, hey, you don't have to repeat this lesson because remember, you went through this before. Yeah.
0: So lessons learned the hard way. Uh what uh without going into gory details here what happened
2: <laughs> <laughs> so without going into gory, gory details i will say uh social media happened i will say wow. social media happened and uh, anybody that has ever served in the public in any way whatsoever knows um how challenging it can be to navigate the minefield of social media. So I made some personal decisions in my life. And um, some people were not satisfied with the personal decisions that I made, decided to take it to social media. Uh, It gained and garnered more traction than I would have ever thought that it would have gained and garnered. Set off a tailspin of events that impacted me. Personally, emotionally, relationally, socially, uh, and the list goes on and on and on. And so, this book is really the takeaway from what was about a a two year season of just being walloped on social media. I know you become a
1: as a leader. As a spiritual leader, especially, as you become more prevalent, that Satan's going to target you, and if you know if Satan's not not after you, that means you're probably not doing anything. So that's uh, this is great that you've got some um, experiences to share. Your one of the your first chapter here uh, is called "Running Red Lights."
2: Yeah what what is that about? <laughs> so so you know how when we're driving. We, we see the green light, the light turns yellow. So we know inevitably that light is going to turn red. And depending on at times where we are in the cadence and in the flow of traffic, sometimes we may chance it and think we can take the red light. Other times we stop. So in that chapter, I really deal with how dangerous it is to not heed the warning signals of life. Uh, the scripture tells us that warning comes before destruction, and, and God in his providence loves us enough to give us a measure of discernment when we are getting ready to run headlong into an intersection that has been designed to lead to a collision. So in that particular chapter, I'm urging myself and sharing with others and urging them as well to really pay attention to the indicators. When we feel like something is off, when we get that nudge, that unction from the Holy Spirit, when we know the Lord is calling us to make changes and make adjustments, it is always, 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 always for our benefit and for our advantage. But when we don't heed the opportunity to take advantage of the warning and the indicators that we're getting, oftentimes we find ourselves in situations and circumstances that could have easily been avoided had we simply stopped at the red light. Don't get out into the intersection. Just stop.
0: <laughs> so, so obviously, you 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 made some personal decisions that that were not good decisions. Why did you keep going through
2: the red light? Oh, that's a good question. Um, honestly, because you know it feels good to the flesh. You know, we 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 have this thing where at times. We, we cater to the flesh. We have this thing at times where we feel like, um, oh, it's not that serious. It's not that big of a deal. It's a small thing. But in actuality, it's a big thing because especially to, uh, to Steve's point, when you're in pastoral ministry, every part of your life is entwined in the life of others. There's no part of your life that's disconnected and not entwined in the life of others and not just your natural family. But your spiritual family as well. So whatever happens in your life as a spiritual leader, it is going to show up and impact the life of everybody that you're entwined to. So running the red lights at times, I think, becomes a matter of the flesh. I think that I think it also at times it becomes just a matter of being selfish and not thinking about the big picture and the larger ramifications. Of exactly how our personal decisions, no matter how personal we think they are, are going to invariably have an impact on the people that we lead and that we cover and that follow us.
1: I think a big part of that as well is a lot of people assume that's not going to happen to me, you know, especially the younger you are, the less mature you are. You're thinking, I can run the red light. That's not going to be a problem. But uh, it, it
2: really stings when. (laughs) <laughs> when you get it wrong. So absolutely. And the scripture tells us, you know, you you can't take fire in your bosom and and not be burned. Yeah.
0: Bishop Cousins, why do you think, you know, the, the percentages of, of people out there that 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 have affairs, it's almost the same with pastors. I mean, it might be a little bit lower as far as the percentages. Why do you think? there's not that much of a difference. I mean, shouldn't people in ministry know better? (laughs) Uh, You know, I mean, shouldn't people in ministry understand some of these things a little better than the average Joe or the average Jane that's out there that may not be in ministry? Uh, What's your thoughts
2: on that? Absolutely. We certainly should know better. And we have to be you know, mindful to make sure that we are stewarding our covenant relationships well. And that we're investing in our covenant relationships mm. well. And uh, I think sometimes we allow ourselves to get beguiled based upon the 5% that we feel like we're not getting in the covenant or the 10% that people sometimes feel like they're not getting in the covenant. So they run off chasing the 5 or 10% that they have persuaded themselves that they're not getting in the covenant while at the same time not realizing that all of these things are really wiles of the enemy. These things are the design of the enemy. If you smite the shepherd, then the sheep will scatter. And it is really also important to have, a good, have good accountability systems in place so that when a, a, a pastor, a leader, uh, anyone is feeling vulnerable, that they really have safe places to go to. And not places that are going to be bobbleheads and necessarily telling you everything that you want to hear, but are really going to help to guide you back toward the place of, of safety and get you back in the center of God's will.
1: Yeah. That's really challenging, I think, with for pastors to choose people that will hold them accountable. Because I, you know, I've worked with a bunch of pastors over the years, and a lot of times they'll be, they'll surround themselves with people that are going to agree with them. And that's not necessarily where you want to go. So, so yeah, you're, uh, you also talk about in your book about discipline is more important than talent.
2: Yeah. Tell us,
1: tell us a little more about that.
2: So that was actually kind of inspired, um, not only based on my own experience, but that thought kind of entered my mind. Based upon a book I read one time by Malcolm Gladwell. And he has this story that he talks about uh, the Beatles and how the Beatles didn't start off as the most talented group, but it was really their discipline that helped to set them apart. They had this crazy practice regimen that they just would not let up off of. And so while there were other bands and groups at the time that were more talented, the Beatles according to Malcolm Gladwell actually discipline themselves into success well in ministry sometimes we unfortunately put talent and gifts above discipline or what Galatians chapter 5 and the fruit of the Spirit would identify as character and and so when a person when a person is deemed to be talented in ministry sometimes that, kind of pulls them away from the necessity of still making sure that they are living in a very disciplined manner, not just disciplined to stay on top of their talent, but disciplined also to stay on top of their own morals, their own character, their own integrity, and the health of their own soul. And even when we look in the scriptures and we look at how Jesus mentored and nurtured his disciples. He was mentoring and nurturing them toward discipline. Can you pray with me for one hour? And the list goes on and on. And so in that chapter where I talk about discipline being more important than talent, it is really a call and a plea for us to make sure that we are not neglecting the fundamental um, tenets of our own souls and our own integrity simply for the sake of trying to bolster our talent, but really making sure that we are governing ourselves and committing ourselves to the Lord in a way that brings honor to him, not just publicly, but also privately. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about chapter three, self-awareness, your personal PhD. What do you mean by that? Oh yeah. So, so I think everybody needs a PhD in who they really are. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Because we, we, we have, we have versions of ourselves, you know, and social behavior kind of confirms the social behavioral studies confirm. We have versions of ourselves that we are. So we're, we may be one way with our close friends and family, another way with our colleagues and peers, another way with our spouse, another way with our children. And, and And to a degree, I think there's value in that we all are kind of um, appendectious switching hats. But the whole idea of self-awareness, knowing where your blind spots are, knowing what fills you up, knowing what diminishes you, knowing what is a threat to you, knowing what is an obstacle for you, knowing what is a challenge for you, knowing what your Achilles heels are. So making sure that we are studying ourselves just as much as we study anything else and that we are keeping up with ourselves based upon the seasons and the phases and the stages of life that we go through. Who a person is in their 30s is probably different from who they are in their 20s and will probably be different from who they are in their 40s. When a person becomes a parent, they're different prior prior to them. You know, not being a parent and just that whole understanding of self-awareness, knowing you, knowing what you're capable of, knowing what your felt needs are, your perceived needs are, that helps to serve us in in valuable ways. And it can also keep us out of situations and circumstances that are really designed to create bondage in our lives. You know, I don't think I've ever heard, I, I've heard some of this
0: before, but not in Christian circles. I don't think I've ever heard a pastor talk about that in Christian circles in, in, in church. So, so well, I, I think it's I th-
2: good. I think there's a biblical hermeneutic for it because Paul writes to Timothy, he says, study to show yourself, study to show yourself. Hmm approve and then we are also told in another one of Paul's writings examine yourself and see whether or not you be in the faith and then again Paul says, look to yourself, pay attention to your own doctrine and your own understanding and I don't think the Lord holds it against I know the Lord he doesn't hold it against us studying the scriptures but because the treasure that he has given us is in earthen vessels you know, uh, we buy a microwave and we read the manual on it. We buy a car and especially us guys, we sit in the car and we read the instruction book on it. We read the manual on it. We got to figure out when this light comes on, what does this mean? So why wouldn't we do that for ourselves? That's really yeah, good. Exactly. That's really good. So you talk
1: about finding purpose in problems. What, uh, I mean, a lot of people approach their problems like, "Oh, it's woe is me." But what? what, Tell us more about finding purpose in problems.
2: Yeah. So during that season, you know, I just wanted it to be over. You know, when is this going to be over? Well, as that season began to come to an end, and and my phone began to ring from 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 pastors and entrepreneurs and athletes and just everyday people who were finding themselves struggling and could identify with either one of these chapters. That is when I began to realize as uncomfortable as that particular season of my life was, um, God had purpose for it. And so it was as I began to find the purpose inside of the pain that I endured, that I really came to see it very differently. David says, it was good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. And then he says, you know, I will teach sinners and transgressors your ways. So part of the purpose that I found in the pain that I've endured is it has given me a different purview into the human experience. It has given me a different understanding theologically of how important it is for us to care for our souls and and not that I would necessarily want to endure anything that I endured that led up to reading, writing this book, pardon me. I definitely see how God is using it to add value to other people's lives, to be a help to other people. Um, and to help shine a bright light in some places to uh, to Phil's point that we don't normally hear about or think about or talk about when it comes to our Christian faith. So After, uh, I'm sorry, Steve, go ahead.
1: I was just going to dig a little deeper on that. I've got go for uh, it. <laughs> a good friend whose um, wife was just re-diagnosed with cancer. And I, as you were talking, I was thinking of her, you know, and finding... The purpose is definitely a problem, right? And and a lot of people may struggle with what is the purpose. Do you have some advice on how to uncover? Because a lot of people that are in the midst of problems may just they just throw up their hands and say, no, there's no purpose for this. This is just
2: a big problem. Yeah. Are there other ways to, to dig and find the purpose? I think there is. I, I want to say that before I get into that, I want to say that, I don't believe God causes everything, but I certainly believe that God uses everything, that he has a way of redeeming all situations and circumstances for our lives. And I think one of the ways that we find purpose in our problems and purpose in our pain is when we're in that season, if we can look for how God in those moments is using us to edify others. So if it's a person that's going through cancer and they're having treatments and they have to go to chemo. And they find themselves connecting with someone at chemo that they end up being able to minister to. That, I believe, is God bringing purpose out of their problem. If it's a person that's going through a difficult time in their lives and it reconnects them with a loved one, perhaps, that they have been estranged from, that's God bringing purpose out of their problem. Again, not saying that God causes it or that God did it just so that God did A so that B could happen. But God in his omnipotence, he's just too powerful to waste anything. So as uncomfortable as those times and seasons may be for us, when we look at the positive ways in which we're able to add value to people's lives, able to edify people's lives, I think that's one of the ways we begin to see purpose in it. And then I think another thing that problems do that help us to kind of get to the place of purpose is it really sobers us up about life. It really helps us to understand what is important, what is not important, what is valuable, what is not valuable. And sometimes that comes as we are just simply sitting still in the presence of the Lord. So I would tell a person that's kind of curious about, well, what's the purpose of this? Look for ways that your situation is giving you an opportunity to Add value and edify others, and then give yourself some time to sit before the Lord in quietness, and allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you about how He is rearranging and reorchestrating and reordering your own life as well. Yeah, I, I heard somebody
0: good. say one time, uh, if you can find if you can find the purpose in your pain, it will help you get through it. Oh yeah, yes, I think there's a lot of truth. You don't see any purpose in your pain. For your problem, then it's it's very, you feel hopeless, but if you yeah. can find purpose, it will help you yeah. through
2: it. P- people go over the edge. They literally drive their cars over the edge. They they put the bullet to their head. They take all yeah. the pills in the bottle I because they, they are not able to see purpose in things. But when people, when we are able to see purpose in things, and we know that this is going to pass, this is going to lift, and somehow or another, God's going to let something good come out of it, then certainly we can survive through the night. Yeah. Yeah. The book is Lessons Learned the Hard Way, Surviving
0: Personal (laughs) Setbacks and Public Shame. I keep cutting Steve off here. Uh, uh, Tell me about chapter seven. We got a few minutes here. Tell me about chapter seven. Nothing stays the same
2: forever. That sounds like impermanence. (laughs) Yeah. Seasons, seasons change. And I think one of the things that I had to one of the things that had to be broken out of me was the thinking that that things would always be the way that they had been. The thinking that, you know, you can always make the kind of decisions that you've always been making, that you're always even necessarily going to have everything that you have had. Um, learning to live, understanding that that after spring, there's going to be fall. After fall, there's going to be winter. Um, after summer, rather there's going to be, you know, uh, fall and then winter living with the understanding that seasons change for me adds incredible value to me enjoying and maximizing the season that I am in. One of the things that the pandemic has done is it has surely let us know that nothing stays the same forever and some things are never going to go back to the way they were prior to this. So how do we maximize the moment that we actually have? Not wasting it, not squandering it, not procrastinating, but actually maximizing it, knowing that nothing's going to stay the same forever. Good. Go ahead, Phil.
0: (laughs) Uh, Here's, here's, towards the end of your book, chapter 11 here, you've got some, uh, actually chapter 10, that double standards, double standards are ne- are a necessary reality. I've always heard double standards aren't good, but you're saying double standards are a necessary reality in your book. Well, yeah, I think we get
2: that. I, I, you know, and and of course it's very counterintuitive <laughs> to, uh, to to what we have been taught. And there's a lot of stuff out there about how dangerous and unfair double standards are. And I, I suppose, depending on the context that you're in, You know, they double standards could be a little challenging, but there's value to double standards um, as well. The 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 airline passenger. Can get on the plane sleepy. The pilot cannot get on the plane sleepy. <laughs> <laughs> the pilot cannot get on the plane sleepy. Uh, the 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 person that's having surgery, you know, they can they can show up a little late. The surgeon probably doesn't need to be late. So back particularly to people who serve in ministry. Um, we've already, we've got a lot of scripture that teaches us, tells us that those that teach the word and minister the word are going to be judged more harshly and et cetera. So embracing the fact that double standards actually, uh, keep the equilibrium of our society in sync and without double standards, then the world would actually be run amok. Now for leaders, when leaders understand and embrace this whole ideal that double standards are necessarily a necessary reality, I think it helps us to make different kinds of decisions. Because as a spiritual leader, uh, you're you're not you don't have the same liberty that the person in the pew has. You just you don't you don't have it. You don't have the same liberty that the deacon has or that the elder has. If you will. Um, And as much as we at times want to lean to our humanity, again, the reality is we have been given a very unique and decisive calling. And people make eternal decisions based upon our words, people make eternal decisions based upon our actions, people make eternal decisions based upon our decisions. And so, pulling away from the um, worldview that double standards are evil. And again, in certain contexts, they are. But when it comes to ministry and when it comes to Christendom and when it comes to the things of God, then I really and truly believe that double standards are not only necessary, but I believe that double standards in, in our context have really been ordained by God. Interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah.
1: All right. And I see these as I mean, for pastors and leaders, you're basically saying there is a, there's a higher standard that they have to adhere to that won't apply to everybody else. So they're in, in those positions. though, I would, I would assume that you would get really weary though. Of, oh my gosh, I've got to, I've got to be up here rather than, you, you know, the, the, you know, my congregation or my leadership team or whoever it may be is held to, not the standard that I'm held to. It's got to weigh on you after a while, right?
2: Oh, absolutely. It weighs on you. And it seems unkind and it seems unfair, but I think it also helps to keep us humble and it, it tests the limits of our capacity and our leadership. And I also do think that it actually makes us better leaders. Um, I think it makes us better leaders again, going back to that understanding, um, double standards. You know, as, as a pastor, you can't not say that you're tired. You just can't not say that. Uh, you have to say that. Uh, you need to let somebody know, hey, I need to put my oxygen mask on. I need a couple of weeks off. Going back again to that, I believe in and of itself, is is somewhat of a double standard, but I think it's necessary and it helps to protect us and preserve us uh for the long haul and not just when it comes to being able to execute the call of god but when it also as it also relates to us just being disciples and followers of jesus christ and people that 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 love the lord mm-hmm. so we're
0: out of time here but uh bishop what would you say to somebody listening to this podcast right now that that is maybe going through something you went through uh, that you that you experienced? That they're 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 downtrodden, they're depressed, uh, things aren't looking good. They're in leadership, and yet maybe they've made some decisions that weren't good. What would you say to them right now if they're listening? First thing I want
2: you to do is go to Amazon and buy my book. <laughs> <because it's> gonna... <laughs> Go to Amazon.com and buy my book, Lessons Learned the Hard Way, Surviving Personal Setback in Public Chain, because it is going to help you. No, what I would say to you is is hold fast. It's going to get better. It is absolutely going to get better. I would say to you, um, find your quiet place, your secret place, wherever you connect with the Holy Spirit at and ask the Holy Spirit to really minister to you and be open to the ministry of the Holy Spirit, knowing that he only means you good and he only has your best interests at heart. Very good. Bishop Victor S. Cousins has uh,
0: been our guest today on the Church Solutions Podcast. And the book is Lessons Learned the Hard Way surviving personal setbacks and public shame. Uh, Hey, if people want to reach out to you, what's the best way to reach out to you?
2: So I'm on Facebook, uh, Victor Cousins. My last name is spelled C-O-U-Z-E-N-S. I'm on Instagram and I'm on Twitter as well. So if you... uh... Just come to social media, Instagram, uh, Dr. Victor Cousins, Twitter, Dr. Victor Cousins. Facebook is just Victor Cousins. Be glad to connect with you. And you can send me a message through any of those platforms and I'll be glad to to respond. All right. Sounds good. Okay. Well, thank you, sir. Uh,
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Your time. And uh, Steve, thank you for your input today.
1: Glad to be here. It was very good. Very good, uh, Dr. Cousins. Thank you for having me. Excellent. Uh, this
0: podcast, the Church Solutions Podcast, is brought to you by MyChurchDaily.com. MyChurchDaily.com, check it out. We, uh, we're the ones behind it, as well as StreamingChurch.tv. But with MyChurchDaily.com, you can actually get your little message, a little uh, flash briefing, so to speak, on Amazon devices uh, there's the echo devices. There's the ammo. We've got several around here somewhere. I've, I've had to mute them because they'd be going off right now. But you can get on Alexa and you could have a flash briefing every morning for your church, for your leadership team. Uh, check it out, mychurchdaily.com. All right, we're done here. My name is Phil Thompson. Thank you for spending some time with the Church Solutions Podcast. Please take care of yourself. We'll catch you next time on another episode of the Church Solutions Podcast.